0: would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter number six, Proverbs chapter six. This is the kind of passage and the kind of practical wisdom in the book of Proverbs that excited excited me in thinking about preaching through this series of messages. It's always interesting to me the way uh, Christians will have a tendency to draw connections between current news cycle and various passages in the Bible. What's interesting about that to me is that a lot of times the wrong events are being connected with the wrong passages. Then we come across a passage like this, which just as an observation diagnoses so much of what we see unfolding in the world around us. The passage itself has as its focus financial wisdom and work ethic. I think it's widely agreed upon, widely understood that we have a labor crisis in our country. I think most freely accept that the modern work ethic is not what it used to be. Here we have this phenomenon addressed in Proverbs 6 6 through 11, even some of the financial woes that we observe in the culture around us addressed in verses 1 through 5. These are two issues, money and work, that we usually assign to more secular parts of our life. In other words, you may sense this morning some distance between your spiritual life and your work life or your financial life, but that felt distance is just an illusion if Jesus is the Lord of your life. Jesus is not interested in certain component parts of your life, but in all of your life. Proverbs, as much as any other book, helps to illustrate this reality. From a biblical perspective, we could trace a decline in willingness to trade an honest day's work for an honest day's day's wage as running concurrent with a decline of Christian conviction and the rise of secular influence. Proverbs, in this passage, presents work as a primary answer to the problem of poverty and, furthermore, couples together a strong work ethic with financial wisdom as a reliable preventative against financial hardship and despair. In other words, in that broad general sense that Proverbs intends to communicate, If you will exercise financial wisdom in the fear of the Lord, and if you will work not as unto man, but as unto the Lord, whether in word or in deed, doing all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, things will, in the general sense, go well. You'll be well kept. You'll be safeguarded against financial catastrophe. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. If you found your way there, join me in standing as we read God's word together. Proverbs 6, 1 through 11. The Bible says here, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor or entered into an agreement with a stranger, you've been trapped by the words of your lips, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Do this then, my son, and free yourself, for you've put yourself in your neighbor's power. Go, humble yourself and plead with your neighbor. Don't give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Escape like a gazelle from a hunter, like a bird from a fowler's trap. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest. And your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. may be seated. I was sharing with a couple of our pastors before the 8 o'clock service this morning. I wish I understood better the dynamics of translating Hebrew to English when it comes to poetic Proverbs passages. Like I know the language, I teach the language. But there are times when I can't, for the life of me, reason how it is that a translation committee would come to the translation they'd come to. Let me give you an example. It sort of helps us to begin our study. Verse 1, the Bible says, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor or entered into an agreement with a stranger, you've been trapped by the words of your lips. Literally, the passage says, if you have shaken hands with a stranger or a neighbor. The idea, the language, the terminology of the hand, the handshake, is central in our passage. Then you go to verse 5. Escape like a gazelle from a hunter. The terminology behind hunter here is the same language from which the term for hand derives. In other words, if you shake hands in an agreement, you effectively wind up entrapped in the hand you have shaken When giving security for a neighbor. The same is true of the last line of verse 5. Like a bird from a fowler's trap. Again, entrapped by the arrangement that you've entered into. The very act of entering into this co-signing agreement has entrapped or ensnared you. There's this word play that's happening in the passage that is unobservable in the English translation. But it is there nonetheless. Now, there are a couple of principles, one more broad and one more specific, in these first five verses of our passage. The broad principle is that we are to be financially wise, that you ought to make wise decisions with regards to your financial life. It is not just that God is to be Lord over 10% of what we have. It is that he is Lord over everything we possess. I may be in a little different position than many of you and that I am quite literally provided for by the by the graciousness of God through the medium of the generosity of God's people. You provide in countless ways for my personal needs, for the needs of my family, and that reality lands heavily on my heart, sometimes with profound power quite often. There are times when a financial decision is before me, and I, in my mind, can see the little lady on a fixed income who gives so generously to the body that provides so generously for my family. And that has direct influence at times on the financial decisions that I make. Now, there may not be in your mind that direct connection. You may not like your employer. They may not be good people. As a matter of fact, they may be dreadful human beings and your corporation may be an evil corporation. I don't know your work situation. But regardless of the medium through which it comes, Everything we have is a gift from God in heaven intended to provide for our needs. Everything we have ultimately belongs to God. It is therefore incumbent upon us that we be wise, good managers, good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Be financially wise. Now in the early weeks of our study in the book of Proverbs, we pressed at the difference between wisdom as defined in the Bible and knowledge as it's often discussed in our culture. Knowledge is what you know, right? Knowledge is the accumulation of information. If a person has accumulated a great deal of information over the course of their life and study, we would regard that person as an intellectual, an academic, a scholar in some shape, form, or fashion. Knowledge is where we put the emphasis in our language and in our culture. Even within Christian circles, we tend to associate a high degree of knowledge of the Bible with a close relationship with Jesus. Those two things do not always accord, but that is typically the way we make that evaluation. We are impressed by a person who knows a great deal about the Bible. But except or unless what we know about God, what we know of his word, begins to make its way in practical ways into our life, except what we know begins to have influence on the decisions we make, the things we say, the condition of our heart, that knowledge is of no benefit to us whatsoever. That's the force of the language of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. But let me counter that for just a moment and note that there is no occasion for the application of knowledge and wisdom in the absence of knowledge. In order to be financially wise, you're going to have to know something about finance. I'm astonished at times at the little that people truly know about finance. You're never going to get to the wisdom part unless you've got some knowledge to implement. Unless you've got some understanding to put to practice where the rubber meets the road, you're never going to get there accidentally. Let me give you three areas where it would behoove you to learn a little something about the way things work. The first of these would be taxes. It is astonishing to me how few people understand the way taxes work. There There was a college professor that came through the guest reception area to say to me after the 9:30 service that she teaches a budgeting class on the college level and and none of her students ever look at their they don't ever look at their pay stub like they have no idea she'll ask the question how many of you ever looked at your pay stub no one raises their hand I see you shaking your head at that but some of you are just kind of looking around going I thought nobody looked at the pay stub <laughs> I'm a, it's amazing to me I don't know if you know this or not, but preacher taxes are weird taxes, right? We're W-2 employees that pay as if on a 1099 form. If you don't know what that means, then you are the target audience. I say all that to say preacher taxes are weird taxes, which puts me oftentimes in conversation with people about taxes. And it's astonishing how little people really understand. And then where there is understanding, there is such slack or laziness that opportunities for saving, opportunities for preserving what God has provided you with are squandered to laziness. I have never had a, a job where I was not responsible for my own taxes, like self-employment taxes. I was in construction work before I was in ministry And in the construction world, it is imperative that every expense be noted. You must chronicle miles and every expense, every expense you incur must be noted and receipts kept for it must be managed well. And it was always fascinating around tax season. Everyone in that world, everyone in that field was running around frantically trying to chase mileage from the last 12 months. I don't know if you know this or not, but you cannot remember where you went 11 months ago. And untold thousands of dollars were squandered. Now, I don't mind giving away money, but I really hate giving money to a government which will likely ship it overseas to some country that I have very little, if any, support for, only to be squandered on things that run in conflict to my core convictions. I would much rather give it to the church. I would much rather give it to the IMB. I would much rather burn it so that I could warm my hands than to give those resources away to the government. If you don't know or you're slothful with regards to the tax code and the tax system, you will give away, you will unwittingly give away what God has entrusted to your stewardship think of that. You will just give it away. Give it away. You could give it to me, but you will just give it away. You know, it's a little perplexing to me that we graduate kids that know A squared plus B squared equals C squared, but they don't know how to file their taxes. Right here in this room, there are people who are squandering the resources God has entrusted to them unwittingly giving it away because they will not take the time or do the due diligence to learn the lingo, to learn the code necessary in order to navigate. Now listen, I'm not anti-government, I'm not anti-taxes, whatever conspiracy theory guy, but the secret on the tax code is that it is not for you, it is against you. And the reason there are more than 60,000 pages in the code is so that people like me and you will feel so overwhelmed at this mass of information that we'll just allow ourselves to be fleeced instead of having to do a little homework in preparation for taxes. Now, we could dig deeper here, but it's sufficient now to note That you can be a better steward, a better manager of what God has entrusted to you by simply learning something about the manner in which you are being taxed on what God has entrusted to your care. Here's the second thing. Banking and finance. Just learn a little something about banking and finance. We have interns here that sort of cycle through, and from time to time, I will admit, I might take a little pastoral privilege with an intern I might have some kind of little personal responsibility that needs to be handled and if it can be handled in the course of their fulfilling their regular assignments I might ask them to help me out and who doesn't want to help the boss and so I asked one of our interns one busy morning hey would you mind since you're headed in that direction would you drop this deposit off would you make this deposit for me at the bank and she looked at me like a calf staring at a new gate That's a real country way of saying she didn't know what I was talking about. If you don't know, if you don't know, again, you will be unwittingly fleeced of the resources God has entrusted to your care. If you're ever going to get to the place of wisdom, you've got to learn something in the first place. And the degree to which most Americans have no idea is absolutely astonishing. Let me give you one more area where it would be beneficial to you to learn a little something, to be aware of what's going on. It's with investment. My wife is a great example of this, and uh, she didn't throw things at me when I used her as an illustration in an earlier service, so I'll do it again here. My my wife has recently made a job transition, and, and she is now receiving retirement benefits at this new job. And it's become the joke at home. If I come home and there is any mail about retirement, I will ask her random questions. On her best day, she might know the name of the company that is holding her retirement investment. She doesn't know who they are. She doesn't know where they're located. She doesn't know how much money she's putting in. She doesn't know what she's investing in. She has no idea. And there are many of you who are operating in the same delusional world where everything's just going to work out. Like you're depending on those resources to provide for you in a time of life when you don't have the ability to earn any more income. And you don't know who's got your money and you don't know where it's at and you don't know what it's, what it's doing. You could be investing in the Bernie Madoff trust fund and you would have no idea whatsoever. And you're giving away you're giving away what God has entrusted to your management. I'm not telling you you've got to be an investment guru. But I am telling you, you ought to be aware of where you're investing. And you ought to be actively investing all across your life. You might be astonished to note how often Solomon speaks of the need to invest in the book of Proverbs. It begins in childhood with what I call self-investment. Investing in yourself, educating yourself, learning the skills and and, and tools necessary in order to provide for yourself, for your wife, for your family later in life. And then investing the proceeds of that self-investment over the duration of what remains of your life. This is not something that we ought to be dismissive of. I think sometimes there's this weird way in which we think of these things as worldly. But what God has entrusted to your management is heavenly. It belongs to him. So long as God leaves us to abide in this Babylon, we are to pursue her peace and prosperity, the well-being of ourselves and those God has given us charge over. The Proverbs say that a, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The accumulation of wealth and the ability to provide for those that God has given under our care is a responsibility we bear as followers of Jesus. Now remember what Proverbs is all about. Proverbs is about enjoying good success, making good life decisions without compromising our integrity along the way. There is a way of navigating the tax code. There is a way of navigating banking and finance. There is a way of navigating the business of investment in a way that is fruitful, in a way that is successful, without compromising our integrity along the way. That's what financial wisdom is all about. So the broad financial principle here is to simply be financially wise. And in order to do so, you're going to have to accumulate a certain amount of financial knowledge. But there's a narrower application, a narrower principle here in our passage. My son, verse one, if you have put up security for your neighbor or entered into an agreement with a stranger, you've been trapped by the words of your lips, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Do this then, my son, and free yourself, for you've put yourself in your neighbor's power. Go, humble yourself, and plead with your neighbor. Don't give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids, escape like a gazelle from a hunter like a bird from a fowler's trap solomon is not only saying be financially wise he's saying be financially free in fact we might even get more specific and say solomon says be careful about cosigning in fact he says don't cosign but remember he says it in that broad general sense that proverbs intends to convey truth there may be exceptions to this in your life where co-signing for a friend or a neighbor is deemed to be an acceptable thing to do. I would would caution you that you guard yourself, that you be ready and you be willing to pay that debt in the absence of your friend's ability to do so or unwillingness to pay that debt. Don't put yourself in a situation where your arm is behind your back, where you find yourself over a barrel, now broken financially as a result of co-signing, but that circumstance could potentially exist. I am not in the camp of saying, as Dave Ramsey has said, that all debt is sinful, that the Bible speaks in a hard and fast dogmatic way about having debt or not having debt. I don't find that to be the case at all. But I will say to you that the genius of what Dave Ramsey has done in inviting all people away from debt is that he's put up fences such You know, if if nobody gets in debt, then the people that don't need to be in debt don't get in debt either. And if you need envelopes to get your bills paid, you have no business with debt. If you need envelopes to pay your bills, you do not need a credit card. Most Americans are living, as Ramsey Ministry says, from paycheck to paycheck, living in financial bondage as a result of the decisions they are making. And what Solomon is calling us to is financial freedom. To live in such a way as to have the freedom to give, the freedom to go in service to the kingdom, the freedom to enjoy the family that God has entrusted to us, our, our, to, to, to our care, to our stewardship, to our management. Be careful that you're not chasing the socially accepted standard, living from week to week in the hopes that nothing comes up. Nothing happens because if and when it does, everything comes crashing down. Be careful that you're making wise financial decisions and not creating such a burden of debt that you become slave to the service of your debt. We have the same conversations at our house that many of you are having at at yours. We talk often about how fortunate we were to move to Hernando when we did in 2019. Back then, the interest rate was 3%, and today it's 9%. And, uh, and I, we, we, we have this conversation of, I don't know how the average family is, is servicing a mortgage on a half-million-dollar home at 8% interest, and there are two $80,000 vehicles parked in that. I don't know how you make it. I don't, I don't know how the math works, frankly. But I can imagine that there is a background buzz of anxiety that is always there. And there are limitations on life, there are limitations on giving, there are limitations on service that would not exist apart from your slavishness, or your, your being in bondage to that debt liberate yourself what does solomon say do if you find yourself in this situation don't don't sleep don't slumber don't give rest to your eyelids run to your debtor beg that you'd be released escape like a gazelle from a hunter like a bird from the fowler's trap begin to take measures today to liberate yourself from the bondage of debt be financially wise and be financially free The reality is, for most of us, when we find ourselves in difficult financial straits, it's the result of our own decision-making. It's something that we've done. There's always some external factor that contributes, but it's the series of decisions we've made made in the build-up that really creates the catastrophe. Jesus, in the parable of the prodigal son, illustrates this powerfully. Remember the prodigal son? He asked for his inheritance— He goes away and he he squanders his inheritance on prodigal living, but he was making it like he was getting by. Remember what happened? The famine came. If Jesus were telling the parable of the prodigal son in the American culture, the prodigal would have said something like, you know, dad, I was doing all right. I was making it. And then this famine came. And then we'd create a government subsidy program for people who are living under the famine. Never addressing the long series of bad financial decisions made in the build-up to the famine. The decisions being the key contributor, not so much the famine. Be financially wise and be financially free. And in doing so, find yourself positioned well when the famine comes. Most poverty, as it's defined in our world, is self-induced. This is what, in my estimation, Solomon describes in verses 6 through 11. Self-induced poverty. Financial hardship that is the result of our own poor decision-making. I saw a statistic this week, one that I have cited often, although slightly differently. This was specific to the state of Mississippi. In the state of Mississippi, if you graduate high school, if you get a full-time job, and you get married before you have children, you have a 97% chance to never live in poverty. I've been saying for years, if you'll graduate high school, if you don't have children out of wedlock, if you will not get involved in the criminal justice system, if you will marry well and, uh, and you'll work a job. Did I say that already? Did I jumble that? But If you'll do those five things, you'll be on pretty steady, solid financial footing for the duration of your life most poverty as it's experienced in our country is self-induced this is something of what solomon describes in verses 6 through 11 listen to what he says go to the ant you slacker observe its ways and become wise without leader administrator or ruler it prepares its provisions in summer it gathers its food during harvest how long will you stay in bed you slacker when will you get up from your sleep a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. There, there, is, this, there is this principle, and we'll, we'll go to the passage in this metaphor of the ant. There's this principle. It's one of these God's economy things. It doesn't always add up. It doesn't always make good sense. But if in difficult times, you'll just go to work. You'll be amazed at the ways that God will provide, how God will meet needs I, I wondered I, I wondered after the second service it hadn't crossed my mind that there might be people who would suppose that I know nothing of what it looks like to be in poverty or to do without if that is your presumption you would be sorely wrong we we have as a couple been through quite difficult times in our life I didn't grow up with much I, I tell from time to time and people are somewhat astonished I I never lived in a whole house uh, in, in a in, in a whole house uh, until my first pastorate when we moved in the parsonage at Wake Forest Baptist Church. That was the first house that was complete that didn't have wheels under it or wasn't an apartment that I had ever lived in in my life. People talk about being, you're not poor until you're hungry and you can't do anything about it. Then you're poor. So I know a little something about doing without. And there have been times when There was no recourse. There wasn't a whole lot we could do to really improve our financial position. And as a dad, as a husband, you know, there's that want to do more. You ever been in that situation where something was up with your kid and you couldn't fix it and you just wanted to fix it so bad? We're fixers. That's what we do. And I've found that you just go to work. You just begin to work. It's not like you're working in addition to necessarily. It's not working side job and odd job, those things can be great, but if they're not available to you, they're doing you no good. But just throw yourself at what God has assigned you with doing. And the ways that God shows up and provides and meets material need in incredible ways can be just so encouraging. From God's hand to our mouth, He has provided countless times. Here the ant, this insect of all things, becomes the model for us. When it comes to work wisdom, go to the ant, you slacker, observe its ways and become wise without leader, administrator, or ruler. It prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during the harvest. In four ways, the ant becomes an example for us with regards to work. Notice first that the ant doesn't have to be told to go to work. Without leader ruler or administrator it makes it gathers its provision in the summer months in anticipation of the winter that is to come for the past 40 or so years sociologists have described our environment as the age of specialization in our little small town in central mississippi when i was a boy You could go to the same old doctor, you could get your tonsils out, you could get your arm casted, you could get your appendix removed, and virtually anything else that came up, it will take you 15 doctors to do the same work today. This is the age of specialization. We all have our very narrowly defined window of operation. As young people, you are learning all of the tools and skills necessary for a very narrowly defined work. As older people, you are watching your children, observing them being trained in these narrowly defined windows. Most of you work in very narrowly defined departments. Let me tell you what it's produced for us. Specialization is not necessarily a bad thing, but the unintended consequence is that we now have millions and millions and millions of people who know how to do a job and almost no one who knows how to work. There is a, there's a real difference in knowing how to do a job and knowing how to work. Knowing how to do a job is knowing a specific set of gifts and abilities to make application of in a narrowly defined field. But knowing how to work is the ability to show up in the morning and look across a job site, to look across the desk, to look across a computer screen, to identify what needs to be done and begin to do the things necessary to bring the job to completion by day's end. The ant doesn't have to have someone to tell them what to do. They can look around and by basic observation, assess the situation and determine A, B, and C need to be done. My children are a great illustration of this principle. Sometimes I'll just leave things around the house To see how long they'll walk over it. Before they finally decide to pick it up. Now say. if It would be easier for you to walk up and down the stairs. If you would pick up the 10 pairs of shoes. That have been laying there for 6 months. And the 15 year old will say. But dad you didn't tell me to pick up those shoes. (laughs) I don't have to tell you to pick up the shoes. You're 15 years old. Pick up the shoes. And many of you experiencing the same in the workforce where everything has to be assigned. It's not just this obliviousness to the presence of work that needs to be done. Often it's an unwillingness to do the work that needs to be done. That's not my specific assignment. That's not in my job description. If you want to win the heart of your employer, just show up tomorrow And before any assignment is given, just look around. Determine the things that need to be done and begin to take the steps necessary to make it happen. The ant doesn't have to be told to go to work. The second thing, the ant works to provide for basic needs. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It's working to provide for the needs it knows to be basic. Men... We especially have a special responsibility to provide for the needs of those that God has given us responsibility to care for. You have that special responsibility. Your wife ought to have, in my estimation, the freedom to work in the labor force should she choose to do so. But she ought also to have the freedom to work exclusively within the the home should she choose to do so. And often her ability to enjoy that freedom will come down to your willingness and ability to provide for the basic needs that may arise. That may mean some lifestyle changes. And if she's wise, she'll calculate for the lifestyle changes that might necessarily come as a result of her exercising such liberty. But you ought to be willing to provide at that level. That won't come easily. It may not come overnight, but it ought to be a goal, an ambition that you set for yourself and for your family. The aunt is working to provide for basic needs. We have done practically everything we can in this country to curb the consequences of an unwillingness to work. Did you know the Bible says that if a man does not work, he should not eat? This is a basic biblical principle. Go to work. I would note here, laziness may be a respectable sin, but it is no less a sin. It is a shameful thing when a man refuses to provide for the needs of his family. In fact, the Bible says that that man is worse than an unbeliever. The aunt is laboring to provide for basic needs, but note when he does it, verse eight, he prepares his provisions in summer. He gathers his food during harvest. He's preparing in the good times for the bad times that inevitably come he seizes on the window of opportunity to make hay for a winter that always comes listen the harvest only comes after planting season but the winter always comes after the harvest you may be enjoying this bountiful season of great harvest but make no mistake leaner days lie ahead if you're not preparing now what are you going to do then the famine is always 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 coming It seems that we have this impulse when there's a windfall, that we we have to go out and buy a sports car, or we have to move up in home, or we have to have the next toy. And we can completely neglect the reality that it may not always be the way it is right now forever. And just when the economists say it will always be the way it is right now forever, you ought to be on the lookout Because the likelihood is things will change in short order. Proverbs gives us emphasis to investment and and readiness for passing down an inheritance to our children and our children's children. Proverbs has no interest in you being rich. Proverbs does have an interest in seeing you accumulate wealth. And there's a great deal of difference between those two things. And here's what I'll tell you on the basis of Solomon's wisdom in the book of Proverbs with regards to finance. Being financially prepared for the bad times because of the work you put in during the good times is key to building generational wealth. If if you look at the history of of America, if you look back across our economic history, a, a great many millionaires and billionaires were made during the lowest economic times we've experienced as a country because they were prepared for the lean times by virtue of the work they put in in the best of times. There's a great lesson for us there. Rather than going out and making the impulsive buy, ready yourself for the winter season, which is inevitably coming. Be financially wise. And in doing so, liberate yourself, create for yourself financial freedom. Look to the ant, you slacker. Go to work. Labor. Labor hard, and in doing so, provide for those God has given under your charge, and position yourself for the difficult days that do, again, inevitably come. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. You pass over opportunity after opportunity, you let that window close, you let this window close. It's not the right time, you're not up to it, you don't feel like it. Before you realize it, before you know it, like a robber, poverty will have consumed you. You may feel, as folks often do, that there is some distance between this whole business of finance and work and your spiritual life I suspect there are many who feel that way but you you mess around and fail to meet your financial obligations whether you feel you could have prevented that or not doesn't matter how you get there you fail to meet your financial obligation you show up tomorrow at work and give a ho-hum effort you just go be a bad employee and you see if you have any credibility whatsoever any platform at all For the preaching of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First church that I pastored. I had gone into town. I was new there. I was doing a little business. The conversation was weird. It was just a weird conversation. It was a little off-putting. Frankly, I was a little mad about the nature of the conversation I'd had with this particular business person. And I came back and inquired. 30 years prior to me coming to be the pastor there, they'd had a pastor who went all over town. And established lines of credit with every business in town and ran up bills. And the same lack of discipline led him to not pay his bills, led to problems in the church. They fired him and he left town owing everybody. And, And they could tell you, business owners could tell you down to the penny how much he left town owing them. 30 years later, his unwillingness to meet his financial responsibility was still an impediment to the ministry of that church there are a few issues, a few issues where we have occasion to just be outstanding, to be different than the world around us. When everyone else is defaulting on their obligations, if, if we are walking in financial wisdom and we're free from financial bondage, able to meet our financial responsibilities, there, there is a real opportunity for us to be salt and light in a dark and crooked, perverse generation. When I was pastoring in a very small town where everyone hunted, I used to say, if you'll pay all your bills and you'll not trespass, you'll you'll be different than most people in the community. You will stand out. If I will not cross that fence and shoot that turkey on somebody else's property, things will go better for me in life. I will have better credibility as a minister of the gospel. If you see me on the front page with my hands behind my back because I did cross that fence and shoot that turkey, my ministry will in all likelihood not be terribly profitable. If you are negligent in your financial life, if you are, are dragging into work and given a terrible, mediocre effort at your job, you shouldn't expect a single soul there to believe anything you say about Jesus. And I'll go a step further. If you're not handling your financial business, if you're being financially irresponsible and, and you're preying upon an unsuspecting employer by half-heartedly doing your job, don't tell anybody you know Jesus if you think you know Jesus. Don't besmirch the character of my Lord by living in a way that is in direct conflict with the teaching of his word. These are not issues that are far distant from the spiritual parts of our life. They are directly connected. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we eat or we drink, we do what we do to bring glory and honor and praise to his name. Cultural Christianity has created this opportunity for people who are far from God to identify with Jesus. This whole idea, this phenomenon of identifying in random ways has been going on for a long, long time in the Christian community. You can identify as most anything today. You could identify this morning as a goat. But that doesn't make you a goat. You can identify as a Christian. But accept the gospel of Jesus Christ has laid hold of your life, permeated every part of your life, you have no reasonable claim on the name of Jesus. The message of the gospel, that Jesus has stepped out of heaven, walked in our midst, clothed himself in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet living in sinless perfection, bore our sin on the cross, dying as a substitute for our sin, having been buried and raised again on the third day, inviting that we would repent and believe in him. That message intends the lordship of Jesus, not just over certain parts of our life, but over all of our life. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Sometimes we play this game of holding back certain parts of our life, reserving them to us, apart from the influence of Jesus. The word of God will not bear it. These areas of our life matter. Let me just commend these principles to you positively. Sometimes churches can get a bad rap. Pastors can get a bad rap about speaking to financial issues. Notice that the concept of giving is conspicuously absent from the passage. So you might even compartmentalize your financial life and say, well, God cares about the giving, but everything else is up to me. And that could not be further from the truth. It's not that 10% of your resources belong to God. It is that everything you have belongs to him. May the Lord, by the power and presence of his spirit, make us good stewards of what he's entrusted to our care. Let's go to him and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its insight and instruction. God, we've spoken in such broad general terms about financial wisdom and financial freedom this morning and even called to work and to work hard. God, I pray that the work of your Holy Spirit would would help to bring specific detail in the hearts and minds of those gathered here as to what that looks like for each individual person. Make us wise in the areas addressed this morning. Make us diligent about the work to which you've called us, God. Help us to honor you in word and in deed to do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we ask it in the power of that name amen